You're listening to the Harvest Christian Fellowship Weekend Message Podcast. To learn more about our community, like what we believe and how you can take a next step, visit us online at hcfcornwall.ca or join us for one of our services this weekend, Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 11 here at 847 York Street. Good morning. So great to see everybody. So appreciate you coming. If you're online, God bless you. We're glad you're a part with us today. And I want to continue. This is part four of our series, Ancient Pathways. They're not old pathways. They're from eternity. The ancient past literally means pathways from eternity that have been in the heart of God uh, forever. And they're for our blessing and ways to walk according to God's will and what he wants for our life. And week one, uh, we looked at the path of honor and how important it is to have a culture of honor that we're building here at Harvest, and we can always do better. We want to focus and be intentional about that. Week two, we looked at the uh, pathway of being multi-generational and the importance of continuing to draw on those who have gone ahead of us and continuing to reach for the next generation. In fact, the scriptures say, for a generation not yet born. And so as a church, thinking about what do we look like in 10 years, and how do we make sure that we can... uh, continue to be a blessing to people who don't know the Lord and to be relatable to them and provide a safe place in the house of God for them. Last week, I began uh, this part of talking about the pathway of grace, but needing to talk about judgment a little bit to understand the pathway of grace. And so we're going to continue that today. And uh, judgment is something that belongs to God, and it originates in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when we got a hold of it and tried to sit in God's seat. And we don't do a very good job when it comes to judgment. We really get it wrong. We learn that judgment will lead to condemnation. What we do is we pass judgment. And then we mete out a punishment. And often the pain, a relational pain that we live in in our lives isn't based on reality at all, but in a judgment that we've made about somebody else or about a situation. And then we pass judgment on that. We give the event significance Uh, from our perspective, that it never really had. And so the enemy just keeps the cycle of judgment going. And uh, the scripture we looked at said, give and it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And we often quote this as a financial verse, which it can be. But what it's saying is whatever we give will be boomerang back to you. So if you give criticism, negativity and judgment, you'll receive it back from yourself and from others. Not from God. God doesn't judge us. He judged Jesus on the cross on our behalf as we're going to dig in a little bit deeper today. And, uh, and so we have to kind of understand now what are, what are the next uh, steps as we understand. So we all said, hey, let's begin just to say to the Lord, I don't want to judge. Let's break the judgment cycle. And then as that happens, healing can come into our own hearts so we can begin to see life a little bit differently and see how God intended it to be for us. So let's go back to uh, Luke. I just read some of that. But do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use it, measure of judgment, the measure of criticism, the measure of negativity, it'll be measured to you. Or it can be in positivity and pouring out grace and love and acceptance, will be given to you. The second part of the verse is what we're going to look at today. Why do you look at the speck 
and understand that the verses flow all in this context of judgment. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in yours? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourselves fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Today we want to look at the second part. Let's just pray. Father, I just pray you give us understanding today. And as we uh, are taking the ancient paths, walking on the pathways that the scriptures teach us in Jeremiah, bring refreshing, renewal, continual rejuvenation in our soul, that our emotions would be um, in, in a place of health, and we would be in a place of experience life-giving source from you. Lord, we want to walk on that path, and so help us today. And if we're on the wrong path, to adjust the paths, we pray. Everybody said? So here's the part we're going to talk about today, and that is fixing people. Fixing people. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And he says, when you're trying to fix somebody else, and we do this, right? Like we try to fix our spouses. You got really quiet on me last week. It's just, this is just us. Like we do this stuff, and we just need encouragement to realize we, not, we don't need to be doing this stuff, and we want to walk in the path that God has for us, but we try to fix our spouse. And how, many, how often we got married with the thought, well, they'll change. No, they don't change. But you will. You'll change. And so that... The, the emphasis here is when there's judgment in our heart, what we will do is begin taking a position where we want to try to fix other people. And Jesus said that will be as accepted as taking your finger, poking somebody in the eye, pulling it out and going, just God bless you. Wasn't that awesome? Did you just feel the blessing? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and poke them in the eye? No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Which neighbor were you going to choose? Um, so it's as accepted as poking somebody in the eye. The, the, the amount of pain in trying to fix people. And in church, sometimes we call this ministry. Let me minister to you and help you with all of the things that you need help with. Now, we do have the best of intentions. We say we're doing it for their good. But if we haven't resolved the judgment issue in our own life that we talked about last week. If our knee-jerk reaction in life is we're really living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sitting in the place of judgment, what's good, what's bad, this is good in your life, and that's bad in your life, and you put yourself as the judge, you sit in God's seat, then what becomes of that is the, 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 because of the place you're coming from, it can only be painful for the other person and painful for you and not healing, and doesn't cause, doesn't cause growth. The reasons, and this really is the reason that so many people have had horrible experiences in church, at least what I would call religious church. Because the religious church has a major assumption that's a wrong assumption. And I want to look at it because I think it's important that we understand because we may come from this assumption just from our own backgrounds or just from, just, yeah, from, from how we approach God. Because religions use a law, a list of do's and don'ts, that assumption is, here it is, a religious assumption, God fixes us by showing us our faults. That God fixes us by showing us what's wrong with us. And I don't know about you, but I've attended church in my life growing up where 
really the goal was to make you feel really bad about yourself before the end of the service. And the worse you felt about yourself, the more successful we were because then you would pray about all the sin that you're involved in, all these bad things that you're doing and you feel really bad about it. And we're going to point all of that out so that you feel bad about it and then God can fix you and do something about it. That is a major wrong assumption as we're going to see because the miracle of transformation and God intends to transform us. Easter Sunday's coming, and our theme this year of our Easter experiences before and after, we're going to have a water baptism service on Easter Sunday. We are so excited about that. If you haven't been water baptized yet, be sure to fill out the form online, and it's going to be a really exciting time. As we talk about the transformation that God uh, does in our lives when we become a Christ follower, by the power of his grace, not by pulling up our socks and trying to enter into some kind of religious behavior modification. And so the assumption's wrong. Let me show you in Scripture why the assumption's wrong. It's like getting a finger in the eye. <laughs> God said, for I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. What an amazing promise. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. So if God has forgotten your sin because he put them on Jesus and he paid it all, why would he remember your sin so he could point out your faults and tell you how awful you're doing in this Christian walk and you need to change? And the way he's going to do that is by pointing out your faults. Wrong assumption. Say wrong assumption. Oh, I, 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 love, I love the way you said it with gusto. I don't have, let's leave it there. You're convinced. Jesus paid it all. He didn't leave a little bit for you and I to have to pay. He didn't leave a little on the tab that we would have to kind of buck up and take care of this. Jesus paid it all. On our call as Christ followers is to follow Jesus, is, as we sang this morning, is to focus on him. Focus on what he did for us. It's done. Say it's done. It's finished. It's over. It's paid for. And in faith, we look to his righteousness as our righteousness. And it empowers us to believe that I am all that he says I am. And we sing that song, and I love when we do, because it just it becomes so real. Wait a minute. I know what I'm saying about myself, but that's a judgment. God says something different about who I am. God says something different about the people that I'm doing life with. So we hold in faith what was done on the cross, and that empowers us. I want to show you, we've done this before, but I want to point out uh, the parable of the fig tree for us today because I think there's a powerful principle here about how there's an expectation in the kingdom that we would grow, but it's how we grow, how that takes place. And what the parable teaches us is that judgment and grace cannot coexist. That if we come from the place of judgment, we block grace from reaching. And if we're going to be a poke you in the eye, look at all your faults kind of a church, that actually transformation is impossible. That we actually set the stages. We looked a couple weeks ago to kind of say, it's okay, God, we've got this. We're sitting in your seat. We'll take care of it. Instead of allowing the work of the Holy Spirit, freedom to work into people's hearts. But let's look at the, uh, look at the parable. He told the parable that a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit, but he didn't find any. 
And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, three years I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit in the next year, fine. And if not, then I'll cut it down. The parable is telling us that there is an expectation for growth. God has an expectation that we're going to grow as we become a Christ follower. And that transformation is not a just hope so. It's, it's I can experience uh, a transformation in my life. My heart being healed because it happens from the inside out. And as the heart changes, then the rest of us begins to change. And that Jesus is doing heart, the scriptures uh, promise us a new heart because of God's grace and love for us. And that this kind of transformation, these kinds of growth, that, that's expected. And in this particular story, it's not for lack of trying. The tree has leaves. It looks great, but it's not fruitful. And for three years, this tree is really, really trying, but it's just not achieving fruitfulness. We've all tried harder. All of us have tried harder. Somebody said, if you just try a little harder, you're not breaking that addiction because you're not trying hard enough. You're not successful in that relationship because you're just not trying hard enough. You just got to work at this more, pray more, fast more, read more, do more, more, more. Say more ad nauseum. And if it, if, if more got us transformation, we would be transformed. But for three years, and this is painful three years in the trying, and Henry Cloud calls this bad time, time that is spent trying hard and nothing changes. And then there's the voice of judgment, which, by the way, is not God in the story. It's a guy that is judging this tree and trying to figure out why it doesn't have fruit. And so he says, it's a waste of ground. The judge could be a voice in your head. A judge could be a, the, the law that in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you haven't discovered the tree of life and the life source of God's grace in your life. The judgment voice could be a parent or a coach or somebody that said you never measured up and you were just a waste of ground and you're never really going to achieve and something imprinted you, something held you back. And the voice of the judge says, cut it down, it's a waste of ground. Which is really peculiar to me. Because if the goal is fruitfulness, if the goal is we can do better, the goal is that God has a life of blessing for us, free from pain and, and, and free from uh, walking on the wrong path and making incorrect decisions and all, all of the things we're talking about. If, if, if that's the goal, if you cut the tree down, what possible chance does it have to ever be fruitful? Hello? So judgment is the final thing. And there will be judgment at the end of the age. It's the final thing, but we're not there. We don't live in a season of judgment. Cut it down. This is the end. There's no more fruitfulness. But the voice of judgment says there is no possibility for you. You're not going to make it. You can't achieve what you're trying. And so the voice of judgment says it's over. Waste of ground. Judgment will always stop growth and change. It's diametrically opposed to us growing, becoming fruitful, and experiencing the transformational power of the grace of God. 
diametrically opposed. You cannot have judgment and grace working together. It won't happen. It won't. It won't. You, 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 you have to say what Jesus said, and he's the advocate's voice here. Sir, the man replied. I'm so glad there's another voice in the story, by the way. It says, leave it alone. Leave it alone. The voice of the advocate saying to the voice of judgment, stop it now. Leave them alone. I took judgment on their behalf. There's no judgment left for them. I received judgment, Jesus said, when I went to the cross. I took judgment. Voice of judgment, leave them alone. Somebody should get excited right about there. As Jesus advocates for us, he fulfilled the law. There's nothing left for us to do. Jesus did it all. And then he says, leave it alone, and I'll dig around the roots, and I will fertilize it. I will dig around the roots and give the missing ingredients. We all came from the factory because we were born separated from God with missing ingredients. <laughs> it's like if you took a pen right now, and if it doesn't have its refill, they didn't put the little ink cartridge in it, and you try to write, it's not going to write because it's missing something from the factory if it came that way defective. Um, and, and so it didn't have that. And, and so you can yell at that pen all you want. You, you should be writing. You should have ink. What is the matter with you? Try harder. It's impossible. Not going to work. Instead, what grace is, is the good stuff we get from God and the good stuff we get from each other in a healthy grace environment where we understand that we're not poking our fingers in each other's eye, but that we're uh, coming alongside. And I might have something uh, missing from my, we all came missing something from the factory, but I might have something that I can give you and you have something to give me. It's not just grace from God, but it's grace from each other as well to complete what sin destroyed, and to heal what the enemy meant for evil. And God said, I'm just going to use this to bring healing and completion and transformation. But it does happen at the roots. It happens at the place where we do need honesty, we do need truth, and we do need God's gentleness as he approaches us. Watch this. When we talk about the judgment of God being on Jesus, there's this like, theological statement. I just want you to see it, just to kind of point out. It says, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, excuse me, the eternal Son of God, God the Son, because Jesus was God and Jesus was also man. He's the Son of God, but he's also God himself. And I don't know how to explain that, so I'm not going to try. Voluntarily suffered the judgment of God on sin that we deserve and suffered it in our place. Why did Jesus take judgment on himself? Because judgment and grace cannot coexist. Grace is, is the result of Jesus saying, leave them alone. And now let my grace begin to flow. So that we could be all that God intended for us and that he created us to be. And if there's anything missing from the factory, good news today, you get to receive that. You get to experience transformation. Transformation isn't a hope so it is a for sure in the grace of God. And in the environment that of grace in this, in, in this garden, for this tree, in this 
environment of grace that we build as a church, you and I will feel safe enough to get down into the roots and find out what's missing from the factory that you can't produce and I can't produce. And no matter how hard you try, you're not going to get your ink refill. It either comes from God or God will say, I will use people to bring this and add this to your life. And he does both because the cross is up and down and it's also horizontal. The cross symbolizes that we are together as a body dependent on each other, and dependent on him. It's not just me and Jesus. A lot of people would like it that way. He said you need each other. Say each other. Grace is all that good stuff that we get. The fertilizer that the parable was talking about. The ingredients that are necessary for growth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus coming and dwelling, the incarnation. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. A lot of people say to me, Pastor Roy, you don't preach about truth enough. You need to tell about the truth, about how our lives are all messed up and we're full of faults. Now, here's the cool thing, because if you get the order right, because the order is important, get rid of judgment, apply grace, and you will begin to understand his love as he goes, let me take care of that. Let me heal that. Let me bring the truth of my word into your life in a way that will transform you. Not with a heavy burden, because he said his, his yoke was easy and light. It's quiet out there. Come on, somebody. This is good news, right? All right. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? And how can you say to your brother, brother, let me just poke you in the eye and take that out? I'll poke you with this big giant log that's sticking out of my head right now, and I'll whack you with it, and we'll call it holiness, and we'll call it ministry, and we'll all have a really, really good time, and it'll be wonderful, promise you. No, first take the plank out of your eye so that you can see clearly to be a part of a solution in each other's life called grace. How do we get there? Number one, this is, this, 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 this is profound. Here we go. Determined to take care of me and my problems, period. That goes for all of us married people, too. The greatest gift you can give your spouse, the greatest gift you can give your kids, the greatest gift you can give people in relationship, the greatest gift you can give people in group at church, and and we are rebuilding group, the greatest gift you can give another human being is focusing on your own heart, getting free of judgment, And being able to be a carrier of God's goodness, love, and acceptance, and grace. And that's a lifetime journey. And we just say, you know what? I'll do me. And you do you. But together we will love each other. And I'm not going to point out faults. I'm not going to, I'm not sitting in that seat. A critical eye. I have one. And I shared very openly with you. When I began this journey... And just said, Lord, I want the nonsense to stop and the craziness of the judgment cycle in my life. And the Holy Spirit's really good to go, mm, you're doing it again. <laughs> I go, oh my goodness. And how quickly, because a critical eye is a result of a critical heart. My heart hadn't been healed. I had to let into the root system of who I am feel safe enough to go, come, Holy Spirit. I trust you to come and be gentle and loving, accepting. We build safe environments for that to take place. You can't give what you haven't received. And worse, you'll become, the Bible says, a hypocrite. That's a strong word, and we use it, we use it differently than it's, than it's meant here in the Scripture. 
It simply means, a hypocrite simply means an actor under an assumed character. It was a theatrical word. A hypocrite was somebody who was trying to play the lead role that wasn't theirs to play. And when we try to play the lead role of God in other people's lives in the name of ministry, our intentions are good, but judgment's in our heart, and we're poking people in the eye. We're creating environments where people can't grow. And then the religious phoniness comes in because nobody wants to admit I'm not growing. It's been three years. I don't know how to change this. I feel embarrassed and ashamed. Yeah. Because we've, we've taken a role that's not ours to play. Number two, the goal of our conversations that we have with each other is to bring another person to a loving experience with Jesus. If that's your goal, you'll never go wrong. If that's your goal, you can't miss. Colossians says, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. And if as when churches get this wrong, when they elevate a person's fault above their need, they elevate a person's faults above their need. So they're they're in like so much pain in their life and they, they just, they're in need of acceptance. They're in need of love. They're in need of somebody to say, I am for you and not against you. But we see behavior that doesn't line up uh, with what we think would be, you know, the right way to live at that moment. And so we attack the fault and say, maybe if you change this, this would change. Because that's what we do naturally. Instead of going, let me help you meet this need. And create safe places where the conversation that we're now having, pointing them, Jesus, Jesus can meet every need. Jesus can heal every pain. Je- the answer is always Jesus. Say Jesus. We point people to Jesus. That's why we take time at Harvest at the beginning of this service to create an environment of worship where you can have a personal encounter. We say it this way. We want you to know God. And know him better every day. And to find freedom from yesterday. And that happens in the process that we're talking about right now. Where you can find love and acceptance from him. And and we're kind of, we're doing our best. And we'll never get it perfect. But I think we can do better. Always do better than we're doing. And and then discover that we were born with a destiny. And then make a difference in our lives by fulfilling that. Meet people's needs before addressing their faults. Number three, leave the weeds alone. Matthew 13 Tells a story about a farmer and a beautiful wheat. Everything looked just perfect. I mean, it was just perfect. You know, there was, there was wheat growing. The master had gone out and sown wheat, but, but there was some, there was some tares. That was another way of saying weeds. And they're like, oh, those unsightly weeds. And uh, I don't like unsightly weeds. I, I go out on my front lawn and I take them out and I, pluck them up by the roots. I don't obey what, and I get rid of them because I just want, right, Graham? I just want, we just want grass. Just grass, no weeds. And we're, we're, and we're like that sometimes in people's lives and we spot the weeds. And so the question to the master was, should we just pull them up? And the scripture is very clear and said, no, don't, don't do that. Because when you do that, you're messing with the roots. You're messing with the roots. The part that Jesus said, that's my job, I'll take care of that. I'm going to dig around those. 
and you guys can be helpful when somebody identifies, hey, the Lord's working on my life, and I just see that I have a need to receive. Remember, we're meeting needs, not pointing out faults, and they identify the Holy Spirit's doing this work, and I just realize I've been working through rejection, and I've been working through this, or I've been working that, and God's just been healing me, and we come alongside that and go, oh, let me just, I want to cooperate with that. I want to pray. I want to call you higher. I want to be a part of this. I love you. I'm so proud that you're allowing Jesus to work on the roots. But he said, if you're pulling up weeds, the potential is you could pull a weed up and disturb the root system of the good thing that God is doing. God's now in the prayer. He's like, we'll take care of that at the end. We'll just take care of that at the end, but right now, just let it both grow. I'm not really concerned about the weeds at all because I took care of that on Calvary. And what we're really focusing on, we're going to get a lot of wheat growing. There's going to be a lot of healing, a lot of good stuff growing. And there might be the odd weed because the enemy is working and we live in a fallen world and we haven't all quite got perfection yet, so that's okay. Holy Spirit's with us and we're working through this. Stop pulling out the weeds in other people's lives, that root system. And we need to trust the Holy Spirit to do his work because he's really good at it, and we're not. How are we doing? And this is what we want to espouse to. As an individual follower of Christ and as a corporate, a corporate entity called Harvest Christian Fellowship, and we can always do better, right? We can always do better. And we realize today, and I don't want you to feel like, oh, man, I check all the boxes. Like, I'm, I'm living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I have a critical eye. That's okay. You begin like we did last week and say, Lord, I want to stop this. Will you just help me? Because I want to be representative of who you are. I want to do this the way you do this. And then he begins to point it out. He begins to show you who you've been poking in the eye. <laughs> and as we just commit to... I'm going to just, I'm just going to deal with me. I'm just going to deal with me and let the Holy Spirit deal with me and let Jesus into my root system and not pay attention to anybody else's. But I will be someone who will come alongside somebody else and help create number four. It's not in your notes. Be a part of building a culture at harvest of love, acceptance, and safety where people can open their hearts to the love of Jesus and the work in their life, the work of the gospel and grace called transformation. And I just need to tell you that I think we're well on our way, guys. <laughs> I think we're doing pretty good. But I just think it's always important to be reminded. Because if you've had your eye poked out, you know how awful this is. Somebody sitting in the room today, somebody well-meaning but very religious, poked you in the eye in the name of Jesus. I, I just want to say, I'm so sorry. On behalf as a church leader today, I just want to say, I'm sorry. We get it wrong sometimes. And I'm sorry that happened to you. And today, maybe someone invited you to come and you came, you know, I'm just going to try this out, but church is just church, and maybe you made a judgment. Today, maybe something's happening differently. And I would ask you, just give, give God a chance to work in your life. Forgive those who are well-intentioned, but yeah, shove their finger in your eye and point it out your faults when you needed someone just to love on you in that moment. You might be here today, and you've never made a decision to let Jesus into your life. This may be a scary thought for you. You thought, I think he wouldn't be very happy with me. And maybe I'll work on me for a few more years before I say, hey, Jesus. Like, maybe I'll come to church for a little bit longer. That's all the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Trying to do more good and less evil, you can't do it. But I have good news for you today. 
Jesus is offering you the gift of eternal life and a relationship with him that begins today. He paid for it on the cross, you, but you have to, he, he offered it, you have to kind of like reach out and say, yes, Jesus, I want this. I want you to forgive me. I don't want to be separated from you, and I want to start my life today with you. And if that's you today in this room, I'm just going to count down from five. I'm going to go five, four, three, two, one. When I get to one, it takes a lot of courage, but I'd love for you just to put your hand up. And what you're saying is, Pastor, would you pray for me today to receive Jesus? I want to begin my life with him today. And if that's you in the room right now, and we pray every week that this moment, somebody will receive eternal life. That's why we do what we do at Harvest from five, four, three, two, and one. Is there anybody in the room? Just let me see your hand. Just put it up. Thank you, sir. God bless you. <laughs> I love when people say yes to Jesus because he said yes to you. Anyone else today? Let's take a moment. Just one, one, I just want to take a glance. Sometimes I don't see. Harvest, would you stand? Everyone stand. Let's pray with this uh, gentleman today that said yes to Jesus. We want to pray with you, and I would encourage you to pray this prayer with us. Let's all pray it out loud. Pray it with me. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me just the way I am. I receive that love today. Forgive my sin. Come in my life. I start my new life right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, come on. Come on. God bless you. God bless you. We are coming into a season I know is going to be unprecedented. People coming that are hurting and broken, and the last thing they need is a finger poked in their eye. Today, I want to encourage you as we build an environment of love and acceptance together. I know we've got all the right people here, and we're working together. Harvest, I love you so much. Let's continue building an environment of grace for the people that are coming. Let's worship, and in a moment, you're going to be dismissed. Oh
good. What a good day. Thank you so much for joining us. Be blessed as you go into your week and we'll see you next Sunday.